Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, we've got good news and bad news. The bad news first, we didn't get the win we wanted last Saturday. We drew one all against Sacramento Republic, putting us down to second place in the USL Championship League. The good news is that we broke attendance records with over 9,200 fans at Wild Horse Pass, and there's still a chance for us to win the league. If we win our next game, the last game of the regular season, and Tampa Bay Rowdies lose their next game, which is away to Las Vegas Lights, then we win the Supporters' Shield and we'll secure home field advantage all the way to the USL Cup Finals. We've got two fantastic guests for you today and this the last regular season episode of the Fan Experience a Phoenix Rising FC Supporters Podcast. Phoenix Rising's general manager Bobby Dooley returns for a second visit to the show. He was with us at the start of the season and here he is again at the end of the season to wrap it all up. In the first episode we got to know Bobby. He talked about his previous job where he travelled around the world with the Harlem Globetrotters. He talked about the new stadium and he gave us previews of what we could expect to see on opening day and throughout the season. In this episode Bobby answers questions from you, the fans. You'll hear him give detailed and comprehensive answers about everything from the role that the video board plays in the stadium to the things that go into building the Phoenix Rising roster. He talks about the MLS bid and the desire to have a Phoenix Rising women's team. He addresses fans' perception of the lack of visible marketing campaigns and he tells us how to send feedback and ideas to the club. Finally, he hints at what we can expect for a division structure next year, 2022. Will it be four divisions or a return to two? Our second guest is Joe Lowry, a local boy, a soccer analyst who co-hosts some of the top soccer shows in the US like Soccer 101, MLS Assist, and my favorite when it comes to coverage on the US men's national team, the Total Soccer Show. He brought us the website risingtactics.com, he co-hosted the Owen Joe Show with Owen Evans, and he published fascinating and engaging tactical pieces on Twitter using the handle at risingtactics. Joe joins us on the show today to talk about the US men's national team, the MLS, and Joe's personal journey from his side projects with Phoenix Rising to the much larger national and international audience he enjoys today. Let's kick things off with some footy talk. Kelly McCarthy joins me to talk through our one-all draw against Sacramento Republic. We'll follow that up with a Joe Larry interview, and then we're gonna check in on the USL standings and highlights. After that, we'll hear the interview with Bobby Dooley, and then we'll wrap it all up with a preview of our last game of the regular season when we host Tacoma Defiance. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. 
Phoenix Rising family, on Saturday, October 23rd, we hosted Sacramento Republic FC. The game ended in a one-all draw. We fielded a strong team. I was surprised that this would be the game that we would bring Solo and Maddox back to the starting 11. And what a surprise that Darius Formella, a key player for Sac Republic, wasn't on their squad. We learned later that it was because he got injured in training during the week, and we're sorry to hear that, but when we first learned that he wasn't on the squad, we were more than delighted because because if anyone can will Sacramento Republic to win, can put the team on their shoulders, it's that, it's that guy, Darius Formella. They needed Formella on the night. Kelly McCarthy is here to help us with the roundup. Kelly, welcome to the show. Set the stage for us. Put this game in perspective. Sure. So this close to the end of regular season, we all know everyone is looking towards the playoffs and Sacramento is playing for their lives. So the win against Phoenix Rising at a minimum keeps their bid alive for another week. At best, if the teams above them lose, it puts them in fifth place, only two points back from fourth place, that coveted spot for the playoffs. So, you know, Really, they had everything on the line. And I think it's important to note as well, they're not necessarily scared of Phoenix Rising and they're not necessarily scared of Wild Horse Pass. In our first two matchups with them, Phoenix Rising beat them away in Sacramento by one goal each time. That third clash against Phoenix Rising is at Wild Horse Pass at sometime in August, I think late August. And they held us scoreless. It was a nil-nil draw. They were the first team in the 2021 regular season to hold us to zero goals. So they feel, let's just say they've had some luck at Wild Horse Pass, particularly compared to other teams. We've It's been a fortress. And that kind of brings me to the stakes for Phoenix Rising. Everyone knows them. Part of it is that stadium pride it's creating that fortress, it's winning at home, and at the very least, it is not losing at home. And beyond that, of course, it's securing more points to secure a home field advantage through the playoffs. We're not there, and there's a lot at risk for us if we don't secure those points. So Sacramento's actually a little bit better on the road. Phoenix Rising is significantly better at home. So those are the stakes coming into this game, and you could feel it. It was a chippy match, and we'll get into that. Great. In a post-match interview, Kevin Lambert said, we didn't get the start we wanted, but we came out in the second half and showed what we were capable of doing. That will be the key for us going into the playoffs. We know we have to start faster. Most of the teams that come here are going to play a lot like Sacramento did tonight. Well, what I think he means is that Sacramento played with intensity, and we certainly saw that. Kelly, I want to repeat what Kev said. He said, we didn't get the start we wanted, and we have to start faster. Coach Rick Schantz was even more emphatic in a post-match interview. He said, we bored our fans in the first half. We were too slow. So it's true that Phoenix Rising likes to score first, so we definitely didn't get the start we wanted. But as far as needing to start faster, from my vantage point in the stadium, it looked like we were on fire in that first five minutes. We were pressing high, attacking hard. Aiden Quinn had two scoring opportunities. What do you think? Uh, were Phoenix Rising too slow for your standards? I think so. And you're right. The first five minutes aside, where Quinn looked pretty nice, um, we seemed like we were going to have some momentum for the game. Otherwise, yes, I'd say we were too slow, you know, and 
you know, you, you kind of said it as a throwaway comment. We like to get the goal first. We critically have to get the goal first. Emotionally, it's so important for Phoenix Rising, Rising to get on that scoreboard, <laughs> that scoreboard first, especially when we've had some challenges with finishing in the last couple of weeks, again, excluding our last game. So I do think we started too slow. I think we needed to put a goal in the back of the net. Also, we were slowing the, the play down way too much. We need so much more aggression. We did not keep the press up. I mean, in the very beginning, we were forcing, I mean, I think the first time their keeper touched the ball, he like kicked it right out of bounds. I mean, we were forcing some turnovers very early, forcing some errors out of their back line. We just, we, we let up. We allowed them to organize. Once they got organized, they stayed organized. They had an extraordinarily disciplined back line on the evening. And, you know, we were just slowing the ball down too much. That's what we've been, do been doing. And I think in part, it's because of our lack of confidence in the final third and our lack of confidence when it comes to finishing. So maybe you can hear it in my voice. I really want to be positive. This was a frustrating match. And I think, you know, yes, it was the speed of things, but it was also just the lack of opportunity. I mean, if you look at the halftime stats, while we sort of disagreed with them, they said we'd put up one shot for the first half. That's not enough. It's not good enough for Phoenix Rising. It's not good enough for a playoff team. And it's certainly not going to result in any goals. Speaking of goals, Kelly, the first goal came from Sacramento Republic. It was Luis Felipe Fernandez from the left side outside the box. He took a shot. It ended up in the bottom left corner, but it wasn't a particularly good shot or accurate shot because he benefited from a deflection that sent Andre, that really didn't give Andre Rawls a chance. And that deflection was uh, very unfortunate from Manuel Madrid. Kelly, talk us through that goal. Yeah, you know, that was really just bad luck. And we've kind of talked about this before. That happens. I mean, if you watch the replay, I think we had some people that got caught up and didn't get back in time. But in general, you know, this is the reason you get on the scoreboard first so that these types of plays aren't as devastating. It happens. It hit off Manuel Madrid. You know, he had a great game and I'm going to get into a little bit of his statistics later, but he took a deflection, you know, best intentions. Andre Rawls knew pretty much immediately that he was in the perfect position and then he wasn't due to that deflection. There was nothing that he could do. I mean, his frustration was, I mean, I think he kicked the net. <laughs> like it's just one of those things. And if you're up and, or if you're up, you know, by one, if you're up by two, this isn't that devastating, but it was not only did they get on the scoreboard first, but, you know, I think it really frustrated some of our players and we had to recover from that. Yeah, during that first half, Kelly, it's not like we were asleep. We saw some great action up front from Darren Maddox as he was pressing the goalkeeper. We saw Tate Schmidt take a beautiful shot. You know, th there were opportunities, there were shots, but it just didn't go our way. How were you feeling about that first half? How were you feeling coming into the second half? I was pretty frustrated after the first half. You know, you, you heard the quotes from Lambert. You heard the quotes from Shantz. And, you know, in addition, it just felt like we were having a hard time clicking. It, it definitely was not lack of effort, as you mentioned. Um, there were some nice links, link ups. There were some players that were playing really nicely together. But generally speaking, it just felt like we were a little bit off. 
It's really hard to pinpoint. It's very hard to pinpoint if you look at the statistics. I thought they would tell me something very different. Um, we just, we weren't the first to the ball when we were, our first touches were not good enough. We were giving up possession. Sacramento in the game intercepted us 17 times. So our passes weren't necessarily making it. And, you know, between the two teams overall, there were 31 fouls conceded, many of those coming right away. So there were a lot of stops on the game. You know, two thirds of those were fouls conceded by sack. They were playing a little bit dirty. You know, obviously they were playing with desperation. Sometimes that can get dirty. That's very frustrating for the fans, especially when the officials are not calling it. To me, it felt like pretty quickly the game got a little bit away from the refs. I don't normally harp on the officiating because I think, you know, if someone's going to make a bad call, they're going to do it for both sides. But given how dirty Sacramento were playing, and maybe that's too strong of a verb, dirty, but it felt that way. They were also utilizing their size. They're a big team. You know, it just really felt like as a result of all the fouls, um, it felt like the officiating really wasn't going our way. And again, maybe that's just luck, but a lot of things felt off. Some of the players felt off. We all felt just a step behind. So it was a little frustrating, quite honestly. I felt a little nervous. You know, I didn't have that vibe that we often have at Wild Horse Pass, which is everything's going to be okay. And, you know, I wasn't seeing the finishing. I wasn't seeing the cleanup that I wanted. So moving into the second half, I wanted to see some adjustments um, and, we had a lineup, I'm sure we'll get into that, that really looked offensively minded. So I just wanted to see us put that into effect, you know, some bigger plays. And I'll be honest, you know, if you take a look at the heat map, I was a little bit worried about kind of their left hand channel moving up the field. That's where the ball was going a lot. That's where a lot of the play was. It was you know, when they had the ball, it was an hour half up the left and we had Joey Calistri and Manuel Madrid. And I just felt a little nervous about it. I, I felt they were going to exploit that more. So I wanted to see that tightened up as well, moving into the second half. Great. And coming into the second half, Kelly, there was one substitution made right at a half time, And that was John Beccaro replacing Darren Maddox. Not what we expected. How did, how did that work out coming into that second half? You know, we know that Maddox has been injured. So giving him some rest, making sure that he's in full fitness for the playoffs is critical. So in that regard, I think it was a smart move. Um, we've also seen John Beccaro has had some luck. He's added some energy to that number nine spot, but overall it wasn't what we needed. We had Egbo on the bench. I would have preferred to have seen him. I think we really needed someone who was going to be more decisive and was going to do more cleanup. John Beccaro wasn't there. I mean, there's a couple of highlights that I have written down that, that are in my mind of opportunities for someone to clean up for a true number nine. And we know he's not, you know, we know he's going to play more like a false nine, but it's not what we needed. We really needed someone that was going to be able to clean it up. In terms of the officiating, Kelly, um, I, there were a lot of fouls, and, and I think a lot of fouls that were not called. Maybe that was your point when we talked when you talked about the officiating earlier. But before we get to the the Phoenix Rising goal, which came in the 84th minute, there were things that were happening on the field that you and I both were were pretty shocked about, especially when we were watching the game uh, afterwards on TV. We noticed that when it came to throw-ins that we really didn't have it together. To me, a throw-in is a set piece 
and we didn't seem to be hungry to get the ball. I'm thinking of that moment, especially when Kalistri had the ball on the throw-in and, and he was looking for somebody to throw in, to, to throw it to. And you could just see his eyes. Come on, guys, help me out here. Somebody get free. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Um, only because I really enjoyed his like eye acting. <laughs> you know, if these eyes could talk, and I'm sure he was probably saying things as well, but it was just kind of like thought bubble, <laughs> help. So yeah, I agree with you. They are set pieces. And you know, that's kind of something that if I hadn't looked at our statistics, I'll tell you what I would have said. That's because our players didn't necessarily want the ball because we were losing all the balls in the air. We must have really improved in the second half because if I look at the final statistics, we had about 67% um, percent success in those aerial duels. And I could have sworn we were going to be in the 30s. We're normally good in the air. They're pretty tall. And we were just timing it wrong. Like I said, you know, we we had some ways in which we looked a little bit off and in the air was one of them. Maybe it was the height, but it just felt like no one knew when to jump. So I don't know if maybe that played into it um, or maybe that's just a frustration I wanted to air, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty basic stuff, move around, get open, throw it up the field and make something happen. And we were just struggling with that. So let's get to that goal. It came in the 84th minute and it was a, a beautiful touch from Kev Lambert. He's on the right side of the goal. He cuts the ball in and it gets to bounce off basically a Sacramento player. So that Sacramento player was Kibonguchi. And so it's credited with an own goal by him. But really, it was imminent. It was an imminent goal as far as I was concerned. I'm definitely giving uh, Kev Lambert full credit for, mm. for what he did there. Yeah, you know, in terms of imminent, I think us scoring was imminent. You know, we had, I shouldn't say that, we'd been putting quite a bit of pressure on for the 10 minutes at least prior. I'm thinking of um, kind of a highlight from the 75th minute. I'm pretty sure Kalistri made a big play, a big cross over to Moar. He takes a shot, it's deflected, and then Quinn balloons it over, uh, followed by the 80th minute when, uh, let's see, I think Schmidt took a beautiful shot, wanted to just take it on board. He had a great evening, by the way, shout out to Schmidt. It was deflected, no one was there. So, you know, our finishing was a challenge, but we were certainly trying to put the shots up at that point. And, you know, this came from an indirect free kick. Our actual goal didn't in around the 85th minute. And that was taken by Quinn. So him and Rodriguez, who also came in in the second half or over the ball. I think Rodriguez quickly moved away. Quinn took it and it was perfectly placed to the back post. I mean, Quinn has been so tight with his assists, with his free kicks, with his delivery from his crosses. I mean, his set pieces, his, his participation, his execution set pieces has been amazing. He put it on the back post. And from this angle, you know, sometimes Phoenix Rising doesn't have someone on the back post. And thankfully we had Lambert there with some height and with some tenacity, and he just put it really back. I'm not sure I agree with you. I think this potentially could have been cleared. In that mixer, we had players from both teams, and it took a deflection. I do think there were a couple of players that maybe could have gotten their foot on it, and if they had first, maybe could have cleared it. So I agree that it was an own goal, but I also agree that Kevin Lambert's efforts were impeccable and probably would have lent themselves to a goal simply because there were Phoenix Rising players there ready as well. So it was beautiful, and thank goodness for Kevin Lambert because, you know, like I said, everyone – actually, thank goodness for that player um, – 
on the other team because we were just having so much trouble finishing. I mean, we really were. And once again, I say this week over week, it was going to happen on a set piece. <laughs> right. Kelly, from there on in, the the intensity was through the roof. It was an extremely exciting game. I was thinking that we were going to get at least one more goal, goal before the night was out. Um, we'll move into the lineups, but do you have anything to say about that last 10 minutes or so? I agree with you. The intensity was extraordinarily high. We really didn't want to come away with a point. Neither did they. And given how high the tensions had been running, you know, you mentioned the officiating, you mentioned there were calls that weren't made. You know, there was a lot of fouls and and plays off the ball outside of the ref's attention that obviously didn't get called. But then those calls that did get called, many of them should have been yellow cards, in my opinion. And I think that would have gotten the game under control a little bit more. So anyway, my point is towards the end of the match with the tensions having run so high for so long and both teams knowing what was on the line, you know, it was like that classic fight to the death. And at the end of the match, Sacramento, many of their players just hit the pitch, just fell over. This is something that you would expect when your playoff bid ends. But many Phoenix Rising players did the same. They were exhausted. They left it all out there. Our finishing let us down. I think we could have had another goal. We all know Phoenix Rising is capable of the late goals. But with those finishing efforts, it wasn't going to happen. Okay, let's get to the lineups, Kelly. Between the sticks, we had Andre Rolls, her fullback, Tate Schmidt on the, on the left, and, and Joey Calistri on the right side. James Musa and Manuel Madrid were our center backs. How did they all do? I would have preferred probably to see a little bit of a different lineup. I'm just going to say I'm missing King in a big way. I'm, I'm missing that stability. You know, I think Kalistri is exceptional in a lot of different places. We had um, Danny Arona on the show with us last week, and he said very memorably, he loves Kalistri. Kalistri can play anywhere. I think he said, hell, if you want to put him in goal, I have confidence in him. So, you know, that's how the fans, that's how the pundits feel about Joey Kalistri. He's great. However, you know, I think we really wanted goals and I appreciate that. And I think he was sent upfield. You know, we saw Lambert dropping back a little bit. We saw Kalistri trying to make some plays. We need him for that. But I just feel like he had a little bit of trouble getting back defensively sometimes when needed. Um, additionally, paired up with Manuel Madrid, it's not my favorite pairing. Madrid had an awesome game. Unfortunately, he, you know, took that deflection, which put the goal in, but mostly he played well, but I just would have preferred probably a pairing if we're going to have Kalistri with Farrell and if we're going to have Madrid, you know, King or maybe slotting Schmidt over there. So, you know, it's easy in hindsight, but it felt like a little bit of a weakness for me in our defensive line on that side. Um, Otherwise, they did pretty well. You know, there was the one goal. I do think it was it was an error. It was a mistake. It was an accident. It really shouldn't have happened. Andre Rolls came up huge with some saves. That said, Sacramento let themselves down a few times with their finishing. You know, there's a couple of plays that probably should have ended in the goal for Sac Republic. So, you know, we kind of got lucky in both directions. I will say, as I mentioned, Madrid had some really impressive stats. He had a lot of passes on the evening. He had 68 passes. His passing accuracy was 97%. That's 91% in the opponent's half. Now, granted, he probably didn't make a ton of passes in the opponent's half. So taking out of that, looking at his passes overall, 96%. That's huge. He had seven long passes. Every single one of those long passes was across 
all the way to Santi Moor that landed at his feet. I mean, I was noting them. So he played really well. Um, but sometimes I feel a little bit more comfortable, especially, as I said, paired with Kalistri to see Farrell out there. And you mentioned that King wasn't on the field. I think he's on the injured list. I know. That's what we saw. We weren't aware of that. Obviously, we were at the match. We watched a little bit of the of the match again from home. And that's when we saw him on the injury list. So I don't have any intelligence on that. I can't believe I just said intelligence. <laughs> All right. I was going to say one. Intel. So <laughs> it was even worse. Let's move into center field. Aiden Quinn, Kev Lambert and David Loera in the starting 11. How did they do? They were pretty good, but I wasn't overly impressed. And I was pretty excited to see this pairing. I've talked about Loera being really effective, but maybe not always getting to start with the more classic Phoenix Rising starting 11, aka the other starting 10. So this was Phoenix Rising taking more of its normal shape in terms of the starting lineup. And to see Laura in there, I was pretty excited about it. But I think they had a hard time. You know, they, the midfield just felt a step off for me. You know, I can't really place it, except I can, as I mentioned, I just had a couple minutes. So I looked at Manuel Madrid's stats. I wanted to see his passing accuracy. For fun, I pulled up Aiden Quinn next to him. So just taking a look at them, and I did feel Quinn was a little off. We mentioned he started off that his first three minutes really hot, but I felt like he, I don't want to say went downhill. I just felt like he was a little hot and cold in the evening. So Manuel Madrid had 68 passes. Aiden Quinn had 48. That's 20 less. Manuel Madrid had a 96% passing accuracy. Aiden Quinn was 71%. So that's significantly less. You know, we saw some interceptions coming out of that midfield. We saw some failed attempts at passing. We saw some failed attempts at stopping the defense. I mean, we gave Sac Republic the middle of the park. There were so many opportunities for them. They just ran with the ball. I mean, there wasn't a ton of defense happening in the midfield in that middle third from my watching. Now, Aiden Quinn had a 61% passing accuracy in the opponent's half. You know, it, it didn't prove to be good enough in terms of making things happen in terms of that distribution to our forward line. So, you know, they're, they're a phenomenal trio individually and they work well together, but I wasn't, you know, I, I wanted a little bit more from them. We needed a little bit more from them. Looking forward to the other trio on the field. We had Santi Moore on the left, Solomon Asante on the right, and our number nine, Darren Maddox. Kelly, how do they do? Well, they left a little bit to be desired, unfortunately. I mean, this is classically where the finishing happens, and we were just having a hard time. We didn't have a lot of shots on goal coming from the front line. We didn't have any cleanup happening. So it, it wasn't their best night. That said, there were definitely some bright spots. You know, Asante has had a hard time finding the net. Uh, he didn't score in the evening, but he had some really awesome attempts. I thought Solomon Asante actually had a great game. I'm hoping he's in full fitness. He played the full 90. I thought I saw him limping. Now it could be start. I mean, from early on, I thought he was limping, but his speed was there. His distribution was there. You know, I think a couple couple podcast episodes ago, I made a joke about him having detachable legs. We saw it again. I mean, he was able to like, not even turn and shoot, basically like hat, like quarter turn and shoot. So he had some good attempts. I thought he played really well. Darren Maddox kept up the press for a while. You know, he won a bunch of those foot races. He almost stripped the goalkeeper on a, pal on a pass back. And Santi Mar played his heart out. So kind of individually, 
They had some good moments. Some of them put in good shifts overall, but they just weren't able to play together. They weren't able to get the job done. So, I mean, you just can't say they had good evenings if they're not scoring. So, you know, I was a little bit disappointed, mostly in light of what we need. We need strong, decisive finishing. I mean, we need to make a statement at this point. You're finishing the season. You're on top of your division. You're at home in front of a crowd that loves you. You know, you're heading into the playoffs. You need points. These are the times to finish. Like, it has to be real. They need their confidence. So anyway, they they played pretty well. It just wasn't good enough. We talked about one substitution. That was John Baccaro coming on the second half for Darren Maddox. The other substitution was in the 65th minute. David Loera went off. Arturo Rodriguez came on. Did he make a difference? Not in a major way, not in terms of the score. You know, I think him and Loera are a really good substitution for one another. I think they both bring a lot to that midfield. I think they are both, and I hate to talk about two people in one way because, of course, they're quite different, but in terms of what they bring to the team, they are beautiful counterpoints to Lambert and Quinn. I really feel that way. You know, they're big playmakers in their own way. Loera using space, using his speed, taking shots, you know, keeping people guessing. Um, and then Rodriguez is very similar. He's also very fast. He also, you know, really is clever and creative with the ball. He's great at traveling with the ball, but, you know, he's also looking for those link-ups. He's got relationships with people all over the pitch. Um, so, you know, he played really well, but he wasn't able to get the job done either. I want to leave our lineup and just talk about their lineup for, for a minute. Their, their forwards, Cameron Iwasa, I feel like Cameron was shut down by our defense. Their other forward was Andrew Wheeler Amiuno, a former Phoenix Rising player, if I'm not mistaken, a player that's played midfield and played defense. So he's all over that Sac Republic pitch. Um, we had Coelho in the midfield. We had Villarreal in the midfield. We had Fernandez who scored the goal. We had um, LaCroix. Um, Shannon Gomez also on that left side doing a lot of link up with LaCroix um, I like you I, I thought that that was where they were strongest with Shannon Gomez and LaCroix on the left side of, of the field mm-hmm. um, other players that they had Jordan McCrary Kilbunguchi and Sargis so they had a strong lineup but I really think that they didn't have their playmaker and as I mentioned at the outset the player who can put this team on his shoulders, Darius Formella. So, on you know, we're thankful that he wasn't there, but could have could have been the the playmaker, could have made the difference for them. Well, so, and you know, that's a tough call. I mean, we I can't speak for you, but I don't watch this team enough to really know who's strongest. You know, for example, they had Penanen and Belmar on their bench. These are players that were kind of staples in past games. So who knows what the development has been? Who knows what players they've picked up personally that I'm not aware of? I will say McCrary was very effective, um, kind of in the moment, love to hate him (laughs) or hate to love him even. You know, he was really effective on their back line. Saldana came up huge. You know, he played really well. He He had a very good game, I think, their goalkeeper. So, you know... They played, they played defensively. I thought, you know, when we had possession, they often had a lot of players between us and the goal. They were able to drop back and defend. 
As I mentioned, their, their defense was extremely disciplined line. They did not break those. We were not able to break that line very easily. Um, and they were very good on the counter. I was surprised. Phoenix Rising is known for this. And Sac Republic was able to counterattack very effectively. It was scary. So, you know, that's the other thing I can sit here. And, and by the way, I'm so sorry to be negative. I really know that the job description requires me to be positive, but it was a frustrating game. It was one I really wanted to win and thought we could have. But, you know, it has to be said, Sacramento Republic played pretty well. And why wouldn't they have? Like I said, everything was on the line for them. Okay, guys, I think you wrapped it up right there, Kelly, mm-hmm. or maybe you've got some other closing comments. Everything is at stake still for Phoenix Rising in terms of now moving into the last game. So, you know, I, I, I hesitate to sound like a broken record, but we have all the pieces. We need to put them together. And I do think the one thing we might be a little bit lacking is the number nine and or the performance of the number nine on the evening. So that's something we're really going to need to tighten up on. And we just have to remember we're home. We're at Wild Horse Pass. It's next week. We're playing Oakland. There are no teams that are easy to beat. You know, in the Western Conference, it's certainly not in the Pacific Division. So we need to take it really seriously. I know that we will. I know that we can pick up these points. And by the way, we also need to cross our fingers for some things happening across the league to go our way in order to, you know, pick up those points and then have them be enough to secure that home field advantage. So, you know, I want us to go really far through the postseason. I'd love it to be at home. I don't really care where it is. As long as we can slot the puzzle pieces in, We should be able to do it. I can't wait to be more positive next week. And certainly I'm going to be really positive screaming at that match. I can't wait to see everyone there. It's going to be a goal fest next week. I can feel (laughs) it. Yes. (laughs) This has been great. It's great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. How's it going, guys? This is Daniel Orona from Arizona Deportiva. You are listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, next up is our interview with Joe Lowry. Joe brought us RisingTactics.com, the Phoenix Rising-centric podcast named The Owen Joe Show, and his work on Twitter under the handle at RisingTactics. Joseph Lowry, welcome to the fan experience. I'm excited to chat with you and to hear about what you're up to. So how are you and what are you doing with your precious time these days? (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I do really appreciate it. As far as what I'm doing these days, a lot of, of different things, which has been so much fun. I, I spend most of my time working with uh, a crew of folks at the Total Soccer Show with Taylor and, and Ryan Bailey and Graham Ruffin. The four of us uh, will record uh, a, shows about a number of different things, and I'll spend most of my time over there talking about the U.S. men's national team and, and some other things as well. So I'm doing that. I'm recording MLS Assist with uh, Jordan Angeli, which is always so much fun out on Mondays. And then writing some for MLSsoccer.com and for The Athletic. So that is, that's kind of the rundown there, man. So you are keeping good and busy. Yeah, certainly, certainly. For sure. Okay, so I'd love to to drill down a little bit on a few of the things you said. So first off, with the U.S. men's national team, they're in the process of qualifying for next year's World Cup. Can't wait. So to put things in perspective for that, we've got a promising squad, um, a lot of whom play in Europe. And after winning the Gold Cup and then the Nations League, we became favorites to finish first in the World Cup qualifiers. So there are 14 games to play altogether. We're six matches in. 
We're second in the table behind Mexico. They've got 14 points. We have 11. So Joe, with eight matches remaining, how are you feeling about the team's ability to get the job done? And is qualifying a sure thing? It's not a sure thing, but I think most folks around the U.S. men's national team sphere uh, are feeling relatively good about this team's chances to qualify. As you're mentioning, they have a ton of talent. The young talent is there. And when that talent's been on the field, especially in the last window, it looked good. Uh, the U.S. won against Jamaica in the first game of the October window earlier this month. And then they won again against Costa Rica to close out that window. And those games featured a lot of the U.S.'s best young players. The middle game of that window was maybe the worst performance of the last few years for the U.S. men's national team under Greg Berhalter. It was away in Panama, and the U.S. lost that game one to nothing. And that was a game that featured a heavily rotated 11 with a lot of the more established but less talented players. So we are seeing somewhat of a distinction between the, the two different pools of players that Greg Berhalter almost has to work with here. So generally speaking, though, there, there have been major issues on the tactical side. I think there have been some issues with, with rotation and lineup selection, but being second in the table feels like a pretty appropriate place for the U.S. men's national team to be behind Mexico. And, and the U.S. has some big games coming up. They haven't played Mexico yet at all in this 14-game cycle. So they have that home game in Cincinnati in November and then a game against Jamaica away in Jamaica. So there's some important games coming up in November and certainly for the rest of this World Cup qualifying cycle. Even with some of the ups and downs and the bumps in the road, this team still looks to be in a fairly good position when it comes to qualifying. Okay, well, I'm from Ireland, Joe, and it's really game over for Ireland. So that means that 100,000% of my being is behind the U.S. men's national team. So fingers crossed on that front. Hey, let's shift over to the MLS, the top soccer league in the U.S. We're only a, a few weekends left in the playoffs. Things are getting exciting. Are you enjoying the season? I have been. And it's been, it's been weird with some of the stops and starts, at least in terms of my my ability to pay attention just because there have been these international windows and World Cup qualifying and big important tournaments over the summer that you mentioned already, the Gold Cup and Nations League. So there have been some some dips in terms of my ability to, to pay attention to what's happening. But at this point, we're, we're all the way back in and geared up for the end of the season. Only a few weeks left before the final standings will be set for the playoffs. There have been some wonderful storylines. The New England Revolution have a chance to break the league's all-time points record, which has been incredibly fun to follow. There are teams that are massively underperforming expectations, teams that have had new coaches come in and some new talent that have shined in ways that I didn't expect. It has, it's really been a fun year. Okay, anything to say about LAFC? LAFC, their, their stats look great. Their underlying numbers look phenomenal. The expected goals for, the expected goals against. All of those things look great. And yet they have still dropped results. They're fighting for their lives in terms of making a push for the playoffs right now. They had a great win midweek against FC Dallas in a, in a challenging game coming up against Minnesota United over the weekend. This is a really strange situation that Bob Bradley and LAFC find themselves in. It's a much different team in terms of personnel relative to what it was in 2019 when they when they broke MLS records like the Revolution are trying to do this season. The personnel was different. Some of the tactics are different as well. And maybe those are some of the things that are, are creating the disparity between the underlying numbers and what we're actually seeing out on the field. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but that storyline has been very strange this year for sure. Okay, I'm, I'm going to shift speeds on you again, Joe. Let's get personal. You've got a talent for reading a game for identifying tactics, for analyzing plays and players. And I definitely want to hear about how you learned all of that. But first, how did you get into soccer in the first place? 
Sure. I, I got into soccer. I, I mean, I played it at a young age. I think like a lot of folks in the United States do. Um, and then I felt out of it for a while. I was never very good as a, as a little kid. Anyway, I fell out of it and played other sports growing up for most of the rest of my childhood and then played a little bit more in high school. And along the way, it kind of, as I started playing again, I realized how much I enjoyed it. Um, and maybe even less the playing side of things and more the strategy behind it. And that's kind of how I like to think about soccer now is I, I like the narrative and I like the storylines. Those things are fun. And I, I grow to appreciate those things more and more. But what I really like about soccer is how many different things are happening on the field at the same time. There's 22 moving pieces and parts and, and no game is going to look exactly the same. And so the hunt for patterns and the hunt for any little glimpses of different coaches, strategies and tactics, those things are fun for me. It's like trying, I don't actually like doing puzzles, but it's like kind of doing a fun puzzle that I really do sure. enjoy. So I, I don't know exactly what clicked in my brain to, to want to pursue soccer in this way and to look at the game like this, but I, I really do enjoy doing it. And I, I think the same goes for other sports. I like watching a whole host of other sports and I, I think about them in similar ways. So maybe it's just how I'm wired and I'm certainly not, like I'm always learning and, and trying to improve at how I watch soccer because I miss so many things when I watch games and I, I don't see things that coaches see. I don't see things that even other people see. Everybody is going to watch a game and notice different things. And that's, that's also awesome. Uh, and so I'm, I'm continually striving to learn more about this game because I really do enjoy it. Okay. Perfect segue to my next question. How do you learn? Do you learn from people? Do you learn from books? Do you take classes? You know, people out there want to have the knowledge that you have, because the more you know, the more you appreciate what's going on. And I think it, it enriches your enjoyment of the game. I completely agree. No, that's an awesome point. Uh, I would recommend certainly finding people out there. Twitter is a great resource that I end up using. Finding and, and following people that you think, uh, that, that you respect and, and you respect their views. And if you don't agree with everything they say, that's fine. But finding people who also dig into games and, and maybe have similar goals that you do. So going out and finding different analysts to follow on Twitter and different people that might give you some insight into stats and things like that. I learn a ton from those people all the time. And so that's that's a huge thing. Books as well can be great. I really enjoy, Michael Cox has a book um, called Zonal Marking and, and he's got a couple others as well, or at least one other. And I really enjoy his tactical approach. He's a he's an England-based writer, and he does a great job distilling information and, and providing maybe more of a historical bent on things at times and how tactics develop. So books, people, and then just watching the game and trying to pay attention to things that maybe most folks don't pay attention to. I think the natural inclination when we're watching soccer is to watch the ball and watch it you know, move around the field, and, and that's fine, right? But if you want to learn more about maybe the the strategy as to why the ball is moving to a certain place. Maybe it's best to not watch the ball sometimes and to watch what's happening around the ball or happening away from the ball. So all of those things, watching games, reading and learning from people, talking to people if you can, having those conversations that can help iron sharpening iron, that kind of situation. I think there's a lot of benefit to all of those different approaches. Absolutely. And, and Joe, understanding the game, the analysis, that's that's kind of one side of the coin for you. The other side is the publishing. So tell us about, you know, how you learned about publishing and 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 how you decided that that was the direction for you rather than maybe coaching. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. I, I do still have some interest in coaching and I have no clue what level that would be at or really what that would look like. But I really like the idea of, of creating things. And I think the media side of soccer is a great way to kind of satisfy that itch. And so that kind of made sense for me right now to, to pursue that kind of stuff. And so having the opportunity to talk about 
soccer with other people on a podcast, I think is great. And that's a really satisfying and fulfilling way for me to be able to learn and also to talk about some of the things that I notice when I watch games. And, and that was kind of a later addition, I guess, to, to what I do for my work life. And, and the first thing was writing. And so I had an opportunity around the 2018 World Cup to start writing a bit for The Athletic and freelancing for them. And writing is a pretty natural way, I think, to talk about tactics and strategy because you can throw in some visuals. You can throw in a screenshot with some arrows to indicate you know, what you're seeing in this moment too so the reader can kind of come alongside you in that way. And so I, I just have always enjoyed the idea of creating things and, and learning and getting better at this stuff on the media side. I like talking to people. I like writing. I like all of those things. And so I think it made sense for me to do that um, as opposed to maybe the coaching end of things. Very cool, Joe. So Phoenix Rising played a part in your story. You went, um, you know, I learned about you first with your Twitter handle at Rising Tactics. I was reading your articles, right at risingtactics.com. Um, so Phoenix Rising were a part of your journey. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're now publishing to a much larger audience, to a national, even international audience. So tell us about your story and, and the people that you met and how you got to where you are today. Sure. I, I really enjoyed and I'd like to do again at some point. I don't know exactly in what form, but I really enjoyed covering Phoenix Rising. What was that? Yeah, 2019, I think I think you mentioned um, going out into all those games in person, there was a crazy win streak that year. And, and mm -hmm. just 20 game really, win streak. It was insane. Yeah, just phenomenal moments. And having a chance to go out there and, and watch those games was awesome. And I learned so much doing that. And there's so much more that I still have to learn that I would really benefit from doing things like that. And meeting, you mentioned people there, meeting people along the way, getting to getting to hang out with Owen and Owen Evans and Jake Anderson is, is so much fun. And I think we, we, we certainly grew to be friends throughout, you know, throughout those, uh, those games. And so that was tons of fun. And I learned some about beat writing, even though I, I think I took a, a slightly different angle on beat writing than maybe some other folks do. Like I was still doing the more tactically inclined kind of writing. Um, and so less of the, the narratives and maybe more about kind of what I saw as happening on the field. So that was tons of fun. But even before that, I'd kind of, kind of started wider and, and was doing some stats and statistically infused writing for a website called American Soccer Analysis, which is awesome. And if anyone out there has interest in stats, I mean, wants to write about them or at least find them, they're a great resource for some of that stuff. So I was writing for them. And then I got into some of the more beat writing side. And a little bit before I was covering Phoenix Rising, I was doing some stuff for the athletics. So it was kind of this very up and down and twisty and turny kind of path. And I, I'd say that's kind of still where we are. There's not a lot of, of clarity as to kind of what's, what's going to be happening because soccer is always changing. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. Um, and I expect to continue uh, doing stuff with, with TSS and the Total Soccer Show. Um, but outside of that, there's still so many things that are, that are happening that I love and, and would like to get involved in. So it has certainly been a winding path and, and there's hopefully some, some cool stuff to happen at some point in the future as well. And how did it happen for you to make connections with Total Soccer Show, which is my number one favorite podcast? They also do Soccer 101. So how did that happen for you? So I think I've been tweeting some things about different games and I've been putting out maybe little videos and, and different things like that around the 2018 World Cup. And I guess Taylor and Daryl, who were doing the show together at that time, Daryl has since passed away. They were doing the show together and I guess they'd seen some of those tweets. And so they ended up bringing one up on the show. And then that actually is how the writing avenue started with The Athletic. I guess they had made some connection there. And so that presented an opportunity for me. So all these things very much out of my hands. And I'm very thankful for these people um, taking chances on me and, and continuing to do so pretty much every week now. 
Uh, so that's, that was the writing side. And then for, for TSS specifically, at some point, I think it was after sometime in January of 2019, that was when Greg Berhalter first took over for the, US, for the United States men's national team. That camp was here in Phoenix. And so I had the ability to go and at least the end part of that camp was in Phoenix. I had the ability, the ability to go and watch his first ever game in charge at what was then called the University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale. And so I went to that game and I was there in person, got to, to be in the press conferences there. And so I ended up going on the show with, with Daryl or Taylor. I cannot remember who it was. Maybe it was both of them back in 2019. That was the first chance we ever had to connect. And I did a couple more of those US centric shows and some MLS shows just coming on as a guest. And then as Daryl's health was declining about a year ago now, uh, today as we're recording is the anniversary of his passing. And so I got more involved there as Taylor was looking for some folks to, to step in and help out. And I was honored to do that. And I'm still honored to be a part of that today. Yeah, Daryl was was an incredible voice uh, on the show. He set the bar, I think, for many of us. His his style, he was yeah. endearing, he was funny, yeah. he was humble all around. I'm sure he was a great guy. You know, I was just a fan, but you were a friend. Yeah, I mean, and it's unfortunate because I never had the chance to actually meet Daryl. I had the chance to talk to him and, and to work with him. He and Taylor helped kick off MLS Assist and they were helping produce. And they they taught me everything that I know about podcasting. And there's a lot more that they know that I still don't know. And I'm hoping to pick up on those things over time. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great opportunity to be able to work with Daryl. And he truly, like I, the mic that I'm using right now to record, I texted Daryl to ask, you know, what mic should I be getting to start this podcast? And this is the link he sent me. And so this is the microphone I have. Just stuff like that. Really awesome opportunities to to connect with him a little bit. And I, I wish that I'd been able to connect with him even more, but uh, I guess I guess that's the way it goes. Yeah, our, our thoughts go out to, to his family on this day, October 22nd. Absolutely, we, we remember him fondly. Final question for you, Joe, of all the things that you do, which is your favorite? Is it writing for print? Is it giving analysis on big games? Is it reporting on tactics? I think my favorite thing really is doing the Total Soccer Show uh, with Taylor and Ryan and Graham. And so whatever form that's taking, I really love doing the U.S. Men's National Team shows with Taylor. Those are probably my favorite shows. We'll go through and watch whatever the latest U.S. Men's National Team game is. Then we'll watch it again. And then we'll we'll talk about it on the show. And it's it's so much fun. I love going back and forth with Taylor, learning things, talking about things, disagreeing, agreeing, all that good stuff. That is probably my favorite kind of show that we do. But there's really no... TSS episode that I, I go into recording and think, man, I didn't really enjoy that. It's always tons of fun. I love, and I'm so blessed and fortunate to be able to talk about soccer. I never really imagined that this would happen. Just so many people opening doors for me that I, I would never have been able to do myself. So I'm, I'm so thankful to be able to do this. And, and I love, I really do love doing TSS and soccer one-on-one as well with, with those guys. Yeah. We, and we, we get it. We can hear your excitement when you're on the shows. It's just, it's just great listening to you. So my final, final question, will <laughs> Phoenix rising win the USL cup this year, 2021? Oh my goodness, man. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's <laughs> such a strong team. Again, the, the team gets stronger and stronger. Bobby Dooley and Rick Schantz are two of the best people at their jobs in the USL championship. Rick Schantz just had his contract extended, which I'm sure listeners of this show will already know. Um, but he is, he's a great coach and Bobby Dooley is a great general manager. I, I don't think it would be wise of me to bet against this team. There have been results certainly that have not gone their way this season and in past postseasons. but this is a strong group. It feels like the group gets stronger and stronger every year. Um, the sky's the limit for this Phoenix rising squad. I totally agree with you. And it's it's kind of mind-blowing when you remember back to 2019, just yeah. how good we were, you know? Yeah. And, and this year, it's like, whoa, there are times that we're significantly better. 
Sure. It's, it's, it's a strong squad. And, and even to think back to the, the origins of this team, right? I mean, thinking back to when it switched over from being Arizona United to Phoenix Rising and the new ownership group really taking charge there, Rakei Bakai and, and all of those things. It's been incredible to watch just as someone who enjoys soccer and happens to live in Phoenix. Seeing this team change and become relevant in the Valley has been awesome. And the coaching changes and Patrice Carteron and the Drogba era, which now feels so far gone and, and also sort of not fully relevant to where the team is now. Like, obviously, this team would not be where they are now without DDA Drogba and everyone involved at the club would tell you that. But at the same time, it feels like they really are standing on their own legs now and, and, and are a relevant force in this market. So it's been it's been awesome to see and encouraging to see. And I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen in the postseason. Yeah, totally incredible. As you say, in our own backyard, this team just rising up and getting better and better yeah. and building culture in the Valley year after year. It's phenomenal. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love talking with you. Keep on doing what you're doing because we love it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, and, and yeah, it's awesome to be here. Same to you. Keep doing what you're doing. This is so much fun. You bet. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. It's Niall Dunn, defender of the Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, it was really great to catch up with Joe Lowry. Still on the show, we have a preview of our next game, an interview with Phoenix Rising FC general manager Bobby Dooley. But first, let's check in on the USL standings and highlights. Hello, USL Championship League fans. Thanks for joining me, Kelly McCarthy, to the part of the show where we review the USL Championship League standings. And at this point in the season, it's getting extremely real. In two of the divisions, all of the playoff teams have been identified. And in the other two divisions, the fourth and final team is still being determined. But in all of the divisions, the order, the final rankings are contingent on the last one or two games. That's right. Some sides have a game in hand with three additional potential points to grab. You know you have well-matched divisions and a competitive league when the entirety of the playoffs will be determined by the final game. It is so exciting. So let's get into it. In the Atlantic Division, the teams remain the same as last week. You have the Tampa Bay Rowdies, Charlotte Independence, Pittsburgh Riverhounds SC, and the Miami FC. Each of these teams won their matches in week 27, so the order of the teams stayed the same from week 26. But the final order, as I mentioned at the outset, has not yet been determined. The Tampa Bay Rowdies are number one in this division, but two, three, and four are up for grabs. Charlotte Independence, number two, has two games left, so they have a good chance of securing second place moving into the postseason, but they're currently tied for points with Pittsburgh and Miami is only three points behind. So anything can happen and the rankings may well be determined by reviewing head-to-head matchups in this division. The excitement doesn't end there. It doesn't even come close. Let's look at the Central Division, where once again, the playoff teams have been determined, but none of the rankings have been locked. Here are your Central Division playoff teams as they sit currently. Birmingham Legion FC, Louisville City FC, Memphis 901 FC, and FC Tulsa. The order of these teams hasn't changed since last week either, although there were some interesting results from Week 27 games. Birmingham, the number one seed, 
beat Sporting Kansas City 6-0, a smiting. And number two, Louisville beat number three, Memphis 901. Birmingham and Louisville are playing for the number one spot in their division. The other two teams are not going to catch up. Both Birmingham and Louisville have one game left, and they're separated by two points. So win by Louisville puts them up by one point, enough to secure that top spot. And guess what? They're playing each other. That's next Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. I can't even... That brings us to the Mountain Division. Can the excitement continue? Let's find out. Let me start by mentioning that in this division, the team in first place has clinched the division. This is the El Paso Locomotives, who really did have a great season and are five points out in front of the number two team. Now, I should mention here, if they win their final game, and I'm talking about El Paso Locomotives here, and if Phoenix Rising doesn't win their final game, then Phoenix could lose home field advantage in the third round of the playoffs, meaning the El Paso Locomotives would finish the season with more points. So this is very hypothetical and it assumes that both teams make it through to the first make it through the first two rounds of the playoffs. So anyway, back to the mountain standings. Here's the current list of teams above the playoff line. El Paso Locomotives, San Antonio FC, Colorado Springs Switchback FC, and New, and New Mexico United. These teams are the same as they were last week after week 26, but the race has gotten even tighter. Teams number two and three, which is San Antonio and Colorado Springs, both tied their matches in week 27 thus picking up one point each. This means they remain tied with 49 points and one game left on their season. No one can catch them in terms of points. One of them will be the number two seed with home field advantage moving into the playoffs. One of them will be the number three seed. And guess what? Lightning strikes twice. Their final match? Yep, they play each other. Be still, my beating heart. New Mexico, Austin Bold, and Rio Grande Valley FC are all vying for that fourth spot. And let's face it, Phoenix Rising fans, the outcome of this spot matters to us because we'll be playing that team in the first round of the playoffs. New Mexico is two points in front of Austin Bold and RGV, who are tied, but RGV have two games left with six potential points on the table. So, Two wins will do the trick no matter what happens with the other team's final games. But it's never easy, is it? RGV's final match is against El Paso, the number one team in their division. Now, in fairness, they lost El Paso both times they played them away, but they did beat them when they matched up at home, which is exactly where this final match will take place. So things get a lot easier for RGV if New Mexico loses their final game, but nothing comes easy as we know. Can that be all the excitement from week 27? Let's finish up with a look at the Pacific Division and find out. The first three teams in this division have clinched their playoff spots, but only the first, Phoenix Rising, has clinched their ranking. You have Phoenix Rising, Orange County SC, San Diego Loyal, and LA Galaxy 2, Los Dos. Now, you may have noticed there is a change to the standings in this division from last week. 
Orange County has pulled ahead of San Diego Loyal and have moved to the number two seed with 49 points versus San Diego's 47. With one game left for each side, the final positioning of these teams will be determined by their final matches. Two versus three, as you know, really matters because it ensures home field advantage in the first round of the playoffs. A few weeks ago, people really didn't see San Diego losing their second place spot in the playoffs, but OC has been on a great run of form, winning their last four games. San Diego, on the other hand, have lost their last two matches, including a crazy loss to the Oakland Roots this weekend. Oakland had to win to stay alive, and they traveled to San Diego and played the game of their lives. They had a 3-1 to one lead with 15 minutes left in the match, at which point San Diego came back to equalize, pulling the game level in the 86th minute. What more could happen, right? Well, one of the Roots got a straight red card, leaving the Roots down to 10 men for the final four minutes of the match. There's still more. Three minutes into stoppage time, the Roots were awarded a penalty kick, which they converted, and the game ended 4-3 to three in favor of the Oakland Roots. As a result, San Diego dropped to position three, and the Roots lived to play another week. So, in addition to the drama surrounding position two and three, there's a ton of excitement around position number four, with three teams in close contention and everything hinging on the final match. Los Dos are currently in position four and are one point ahead of Oakland and Tacoma, who are tied. Oakland plays Sporting Kansas City at home, which is a wild card given that they're from the Mountain Division. And Tacoma play Phoenix Rising at Wild Horse Pass, which we all know is a tall order. Folks, there are so many scenarios that could happen here. For example, Los Dos could lose. Tacoma and Oakland could both draw their games, which would mean the final spot in the playoffs would come down to head-to-head record between those two teams. By the by, if that happens, Oakland have the head-to-head advantage. So it's nail-biting excitement down to the final match in every division. You couldn't orchestrate this madness if you tried. If the playoffs are anything like the final weeks of the 2021 regular season, we are in for a real treat. Thanks for joining me. Make sure to tune in next week to find out the actual, the final 2021 USL Championship League standings. Now, stay tuned for the rest of the podcast, including Niall's game preview for Phoenix Rising's final regular season match. Go Rising! Yo, 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 what's up, footy fans? This is Hugh Roberts from the Backyard Footy Podcast, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, stick around for a preview of our next game. But first, Phoenix Rising FC General Manager Bobby Dooley returns to us to answer your questions. Here's the interview with Bobby. Phoenix Rising family, today we're honoured to have Phoenix Rising's General Manager Bobby Dooley as our guest. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me today. Hey, we're hugely looking forward to the playoffs. What a fantastic season it's been. Yeah, no, we're, we're excited. You know, uh, we clinched it a couple of weeks ago and... Obviously, that's one of our goals is, is to get in the playoffs, but it's it's certainly not the uh, the highest goal that we're looking to achieve each and every year. So we still have a few things in front of us, a few things to play for even this weekend. And and hopefully we can um, you know build upon what we've done this far in the season and and get to the playoffs and, and see what happens. You know, it's kind of a new season at that point and everyone's got the same opportunity. It's it starts over you know, next Monday, but we don't want to look too far ahead. We got a very tough opponent in Tacoma. 
Um, you know, they're, they're playing well and, and they have an opportunity to, to get into the playoffs as well this weekend if, if they come out here and, and get a victory and a few things fall their way around the league. So we know they're going to be motivated. They're a very good team. Um, got a, you know, really good coaching staff, a fantastic club and organization in, in Seattle and in Tacoma. So, um, we know we got, our, we got our hands full. The guys, guys will be ready and, and hopefully, uh, you know, the stadium will uh, be filled up again and, and we have a good crowd and, and good energy and beautiful weather. We know that for sure. We can count on that. Absolutely. OK, Bobby, let's get to talking about the stadium. It was a huge undertaking for you as Phoenix Rising general manager. You know, you're planning the stadium, you're building the new stadium. And from a logistical and project management standpoint, how was the process? The process went pretty good. Um, we had a little bit more time than we did the first go around uh, years ago when we built our, our old site. And so um, it, it was good. This is, a, this is also a modular stadium. So we have the ability um, within reason to make some tweaks or additions and, and subtractions where, where necessary. So we learned a lot. We, you know, the thing that was different for this site, one, we had a bit more time um, and two, uh, we had a footprint that we had to little, be a little bit more specific to, to fit within um, and, and utilize some of the elements incorporating the overall layout of, of, you know, the fan area. So we knew a few things coming into it, um, what we wanted to, to accomplish. First and foremost, we wanted to have additional seating. You know, that, that was very, very important. Um, we also wanted to have, we knew that there was going to be some paved parking and we wanted to have entry points close to the paved parking. Um, we wanted to have a video board. Um, we felt that was an element that was missing. Yes, we we wheeled one in and had a temporary from time to time, but it was rather small, and we felt uh, that just improved the fan experience. We also wanted to move the the premium guests, and we wanted to move their seats because they were behind the goal, and we wanted to be able to put them on the sidelines. So, you know, looking at looking at all those things and that dynamic and we wanted to have you know on non-game days we wanted to have two train fields because it really helps with training sessions as well and we can utilize it for our youth when need be and not get as much wear and tear so so we kind of looked at those as kind of the the, the things that we were trying to accomplish um, and so for us um, we, we kind of had that number of 10,000 seats um, we wanted to utilize this lawn and I think the south lawn that's, you know, behind the scoreboard, you're seeing more and more. We were finally able to do something with our fans a couple of weeks ago and our season ticket members with, with incorporating the players. And then we were able to, uh, you know, getting more and more activation. Sponsors are now finally, you know, coming around um, that they weren't allowed to, weren't even permitted to activate a lawn. So I think you're seeing more kids activities. You're seeing more food and beverage vendors. I mean, shoot, on Saturday night, there was a lot of people watching the match from out there. You know, they probably went out there and got a drink or something to eat and their kids were playing. And, you know, I went back out there and there was a lot of people just watching the game from back there. And not that we don't want them in their seats, but it just allows them to kind of spread out and, and utilize that. And, you know, people want to come in early this weekend. We actually have a concert post-match um, out there. So we really wanted to incorporate that South Lawn into our, our design. And I think having that dual-sided scoreboard is, is something that, we're still learning on how to how to utilize that space and utilize that area, but really excited about some of the things that have happened even in the last you know couple of matches in the last couple of weeks. So that that was important, and and I think uh, you know last week was indicative. You know I think that's um, we're we were certainly happy. We we had a record crowd, which is fantastic, but we have aspirations to fill that up and and outgrow this one as well. So 
Um, you know, I, I think we we learned a lot the first go around in building the 6,000 plus seat facility, some of the layout options. Um, and we, we implemented some of those, you know, key objectives going into this and feel pretty satisfied, you know, with the, the premium guests, the premium experience is, is certainly improved. And I think you saw behind the North Pole this weekend, it was really packed with large groups and whether it be, you know, Boy Scouts or youth soccer teams or dance groups, it, you know, that, that was kind of the purpose to have another really budget-friendly section to, to get people out in, in the masses. And, and um, so excited about where things are at and, and uh, always looking for ways to improve. Okay, great. You mentioned the video board and we loved seeing the video board. And uh, after a few games, it was plugged in and we got the live feed and then it was unplugged for a while. Um, maybe it was suspected that a referee made a decision based on a replay that he was watching on the video board. So um, anyway, for the last game, the, the Sac <laughs> Republic game, it was back on. The live feed was there in all its glory. So is the live stream back for good or at least for the foreseeable future until the next drama? Yeah, so we were working on some things just technology-wise, and it's way above uh, my head. But ultimately, um, there was a delay. And essentially, someone that was watching the match from their home on, on CW or ESPN+, Plus, that, that match is inevitably delayed, right? Um, there's a bit of a lag time. And that was the only way that we had the ability to play the match up on the scoreboard um, was, was to essentially get the feed as if we're watching in our, our living rooms. Um, so we, we have certainly worked with our, our, our you know, broadcast team and, and our production team, and, and we finally were able to come up with a solution that essentially provided it in real time. So um, this past weekend was the first time that we were actually able to have truly in real time happening on the field, what was happening on the board. And so again, always looking to improve and hopefully we get to a point where we can do replays and, and different things, but um, it's, it's been a process to get to this point on that. And we just didn't feel comfortable um, for whatever reasons I'll, I'll let, I think you, um, I think you have a pretty good uh, grasp on the situation, um, but we, we didn't like the delay aspects, although it was nice because the people in the stadium are watching in real time and it gave them time to, to see the replay of the great save or the great goal, but it also gave uh, other people an opportunity to, to look at the replay. So um, yes, on both sides of it. And it's very important. Part of the reason we did the dual sided board in, in a perfect world where we're playing to a capacity crowd and have another couple thousand people on that lawn that just want to be a part of this experience. And you don't want a couple thousand people that, that are right there hearing the, seeing the smoke and seeing the cheers. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, actually seeing the play on the video board. So um, having that video board in real time, I think just really enhances the experience for everyone. And we're going to keep trying to uh, improve that. Right. One of the fans asked me to ask you if it would be possible to put stoppage time minutes up there on the video board. So that's a suggestion from the fans that you might like or you might hate. And, and I know a lot of fans will love it or hate it as well. So anyway. Yeah, no, it, it's a good suggestion. And it's something there, there are still some parameters that we have to stay within from a league perspective on what we can and can't put up there. Okay. Um, so sometimes they, they don't like us to replay, you know, whether it be followed, which was tough to play the, the, the feed from the, the television broadcast because they don't want to, I guess, for lack of a better description, incite some sort of chaos or reaction from the crowd from a bad call. So typically they didn't like throwing replays of a, a bad call or a goal or no goal or, or things of that nature, because it could just make the crowd restless and, and you know, be, be, anger and be angry and put the referees in a 
you know, compromising position. So that's another reason on stoppage time. I think all of our clocks, depending on if we're ahead or tied or, or losing, they move at a different speed depending on what's, uh, what, what we want. Um, so we just, uh, it, at 90 minutes, we're required to just shut it down at that point. Because um, I, I bet you can imagine what it would be like in that stadium if, if we're up a goal and it was three minutes of stoppage time and that clock was sitting on 95 minutes, what the, what the place would be looking like. It would like. be a lot of whistling, a lot of pandemonium. A lot of whistling. Hey, now that we're one season in, if you look back, is there anything that you would have done differently or built differently with the stadium? Um, you know, as, as you kind of as I think about that, um, I, I would say that the one area that I would try to, to incorporate more would be on the premium side of things. Um, the appetite for the field seats, there's a wait list, um, the appetite, even in the, the, you know, on the elevated suites that are on the East side of the stadium. Um, it's not big enough, wow. um, good problem to have, but, um, it just shows the support from, cause, cause most of the premium guests, you know, for the most part are, you got a lot of corporate tickets that are, that are buying those. And so it shows that the community and employees, you know, appreciate that when their employer gives that back to them and has that experience to come out for a you know, all-inclusive night out. So, so I think that would be the one area, you know, immediately, I guess, just off, off the top of my head that I would say, you know, be able to include some more, you know, premium side of things. Um, and then I think, you know, probably a few more entry points, different entry points. Um, you know, potentially I know we had a season ticket member entrance at one point, we had a supporters group entrance at one point. Uh, and those are all things that we could still do. Um, so that's why feedback good, bad, or indifferent is, is always valued here. Um, cause, cause ultimately our fans are care. And the day that our fans stop caring is, is that's, that's when we really have a problem. So, um, so I think those would probably be the, looking at the flow of people coming in and out um, from, from entry, um, ingress, egress, um, and as well as probably some more premium. That would probably be my first couple of things that I would look great, at. Great, great. From a stadium design, from a stadium design perspective. Sure, and you brought up there about being receptive to feedback and asked to ask you about how to make suggestions, whether it be to parking or whether it be to improving the experience at the stadium. So how do individual fans give you feedback? Well, I think my cell phone is, is out there quite a bit because I, I like to give my business cards out when I do run into fans if they ever have a problem. And I, I do my best to respond to every email and and phone call that comes into me, but I wouldn't certainly suggest that be the first first route. But uh, anyone on our staff, you know, whether it's their their season ticket member, um, account executive, or it's our, our PR group, or even reaching directly on the social media, I think one thing you know, Jose Bosch, who who runs our our social media side of things, is is very responsive. Um, and if if he doesn't have the answer to 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 provide right away. He certainly passes that along internally. So whether that's reaching out to the info at line, whether that's sending a direct email or a phone call to season ticket member, you know, rep, service manager, or or reaching out on social, whether it be our, our direct message or or out there for everyone in the world to see the communication, um, we see and, and read and hear everything. And and again, um, certain things we we can't respond, and certain things. Um, we can't implement, but, but I can assure you that we really value uh, input and feedback. Very cool. Thank you, Bobby. Okay, let's switch gears and let's, let's move away from talking about the stadium and talk about the roster. So when do you start building the roster for the next season, 2022? Ooh, I think a good question. 
we're we're always discussing right and looking at players and you know you you unwind after a match and talk about whether it's your own team or you know guys that popped out you know from from the other side whether it's you know we're on the west coast so a lot of times just a kind of killing time and leading up to a match we're sitting with the other coaches and we're watching the east coast game so you're you're you, you, we get a chance to watch a lot of those games in real time and you're sitting around with the other coaches and you're you know kind of just uh, bouncing things off each other. Oh, that guy looked good. That guy didn't. So you're kind of not necessarily, or there's nothing <laughs> revolutionary about it, but always having discussions and, you know, come, come June, July, um, you really start to hear from agents in some cases, the players that are on contracts that are expiring or contracts that have options. Um, and that's when the dialogue starts kind of picking up and depending on where you're at, right. Depending on who the individual is, depending on where the team sits currently in, in the table, um, those things all play a part into when, you know, when you push on those conversations and when you pull back a little bit and kind of wait till the, to, you know, the conclusion of the season. So, so for us, you start to get things, you start to understand around September, who's going you officially know who's going to be free agents, who's got a team option, um, you know, so for us, we always have a board of, of players at, at every position because um, you just never know. It's uh, things could happen and players could get transferred out and trades could happen. Loans could happen. Um, so we're always keeping a short list at every position. And and then as things kind of um, get wind down towards the end of the season, obviously, there's a lot of discussions with myself and Rick on you know, options, if we're going to pick them up or, or, you know, free agents or guys that we want to get back in here and you start seeing the players from around the league and you just make some time to have those discussions. And you, you can't, you can't reach out to players, you know, freely, even if they're out of contract, you have to go through the proper channels and, and speak to their team for permission. And um, really it starts to really pick up towards, you know, even as soon as next week um, when other teams are out of the playoffs you're starting to hear a lot more from agents that, hey, this guy had his end of the year exit meeting and he's available now. Is this someone you would consider? And and for us, hopefully that we're the last team that has to have those exit meetings. That's that's the goal every year is to have the shortest off season um, as a team. So it's it's an ongoing. I don't I know I didn't I kind of jumped around, um, but you know, September, October, November, you start to really understand players within the USL that are available, players that within the MLS that are going to become available and you start to see a little bit more international guys that didn't get picked up or, or for whatever reason, their contracts are expiring in, in December or I have the ability to exit so that they could come join us, which is in the middle of a lot of team season in Europe, but at the beginning of ours. So you really start getting a lot more players and a lot more phone calls. I think I've talked to six agents just this morning um, already. Wow. Rising fan Jose Roberto Garcia Gonzalez, he asked me to ask you, if there's a possibility of any future signings coming from Brazil. From Brazil. Um, I don't, I'm thinking back. I don't know that we've had a player from Brazil um, in the last couple of years. So um, there's certainly players and agents um, and, and even scouts that, that uh, share players from Brazil um, for us. So it just becomes a matter of need, um, you know, position based and, obviously the value, um, what, what it's going to take to get the deal done and, and all of that. So I, I won't rule out anywhere where I don't, I don't care where a player is, is playing or where they're from. If, if we feel like they're high character, high quality person, first and foremost, 
and then they have the attributes that we look for in that specific position. I, I think the one thing that I was I was talking to an agent this morning about is it. it we have a pretty clear identity. Um, we have a pretty good understanding of what we want out of each and every player. And I think establishing who you are is really important because once you know that you can find pieces and, and uh, players that kind of fit those specific positions. And I think that's one thing Rick has done a fantastic job about with doing is there's no secrets when you're playing Phoenix rising. We know what from formations to style of play. Um, so it, it helps us when we're trying to identify players and it helps scouts and, and agents as well, because they say, Hey, I know you're looking for this type of uh, nine or left back or center midfielder. So um, yes, uh, we'd be open to look at players from anywhere in the world. And we're looking at videos and, and Y scout and instat uh, all, at all times on, on players from all over the, all over the world. Right. But we do have some limitations sure. um, as far as international spots, how many you can and cannot have on your roster. Sure. Okay. Well, Phoenix Rising supporter Martin Cornus wanted to know about the MLS bid. So first of all, he was asking, is it still a priority for the club? And secondly, it's been reported that the, that the main reason that Phoenix's bid gets rejected is because MLS is insisting on an enclosed stadium, and that's not something that our ownership are willing to do. So there are the two questions for you, Bobby. Yeah, I would say first and foremost, um, I would kind of take a step back and just talk about soccer in general and the growth of soccer. And you're seeing new franchises and new teams and new ownership groups um, and, and more investment at, at all levels of soccer. And you see some of the teams that have come in and the new ownership groups that are are coming into the USL and, and the growth of the USL the last couple of years has been fantastic. And whether it be the quality on the field or even the investment you know, off the field into the marketing, into the branding, you're seeing more and more partnerships. It's really exciting to be a part of. And I think the United Soccer League has done a fantastic job growing these couple, last couple of years. And for us and, and regarding, you know, taking it to the next level from day one, our ownership group, we've been committed as a club to, to take this, you know, to the highest level. And we're really fortunate that we have, you know, friends and mentors in, in Major League Soccer, as well as leagues around the world that are constantly trying to help us improve. So um, one thing that I can tell you is that we continually hear how impressed, you know, other teams, other organizations, um, they are with our facilities, um, our branding, our quality of play, our, our, our soccer operations department, how professional we are. And, and for us, we're going to continue to, you know, how great our fan base is, how we're, we're going to continue to work with all of these people and, and try to take this, you know, to the, to the highest level. And so we're, we're constantly learning. Like I said, last week, I went and I happened to be traveling for some meetings and I had to check out some facilities just to see, you know, what, what we want to do. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, our aspirations are, are not to, to just fill a, a 10,000 seat stadium. We want to continue to take this to the highest level. Great. Okay. Sticking with the MLS, they announced in June about the launch of Division Three Soccer League to bridge their academy program with the top tier. So they're talking about um, beginning play in 2022. At least that's the last I heard. And that of the 11 USL clubs that are connected to MLS teams, that seven of them are planning to leave to compete there and four will remain. So do you have any update, updates on that and how it's going to impact the USL Championship League? Certainly there's going to be some changes. And I think that's one thing that, that we can say is a consistent. There there's, continues to be a bit of a, a, 
evolution in professional soccer leagues, right? Uh, over time and you're seeing growth and you're seeing new organizations. And I think where people forget how, how young, you know, whether it be major league soccer or United soccer league really is right. We're, we're getting accustomed to seeing English premier league and, you know, Syria and La Liga and Bundesliga now, because where it's on television, the accessibility is phenomenal, which is fantastic. Um, but we, we seem to forget sometimes where we sit right in our life cycle. Um, so that's, it's a bit frustrating even for us, right? Cause it's conference alignment, division alignment, number of games, travel, everything kind of is each and every year. It makes it a little bit difficult to kind of a long-term plan, but it's, it's part of growth and we're all part of this at whatever level we're at youth, the professional ranks. So I think, there, there's some things changing. Yeah, Major League Soccer has come out and talked about that league. And I think it, it comes down to the groups that uh, what their objective is, right? Um, is Do they have business objectives? Do they just purely have sporting development objectives? You know, and each and every, you know, there, there's opportunities. Whatever route one wants to go, an ownership group and the club and organization want to pursue so you are correct that that's that's happening and what that looks like at, at the, the MLS league that they're announcing. I'm, I'm not uh, in those discussions are overly familiar with whatever that roster mechanisms, how those contracts look, um, you know, age restrictions. If there are any, you know, number of games, how that's aligning their calendar with other leagues and youth and pro. I'm not overly familiar with that, uh, but I do know that that there's certainly going to be teams um, that are that are exiting the USL, and I think there's going to be some teams that are going to be entering the USL next year. Um, and, and ultimately, I, I have confidence in the USL. The teams that they have have been brought on recently have have been so committed to whether it be a stadium plan, which is really important, or investment in the players, um, investment in you know the infrastructure around it. So. Um, while there is some uncertainty, um, I, one thing is for certain that, that the people that are joining, um, you know, where we sit are, are, are really good people and good organizations that, that, that have a plan to stick around for the long term. Great. Bobby, it was reported from the mid-year USL leadership meeting in San Antonio. Um, it was reported that the two big changes were discussed. One was a pro-rel model in the USL, and the second was a calendar change to where teams would play on a winter calendar. So do you have any updates on these ideas? And where do you guys stand on that? Yeah, I don't I don't have any updates per se. Um, I anticipate hearing a little bit more at the, the winter meetings in December. Um, so safe to say it's not coming at us for the next season. I no, there's a lot of moving parts in order for, okay. for that to happen, right? Whether it be player contracts, whether it be scheduling. Um, I mean, th there, there's a lot of planning that goes into getting a, a season. I mean, this is a, a, a heck of an undertaking to get, you know, 31 different teams and however many markets that equates to, um, to, to get scheduling, you know, everyone does not have the same ability as us that has their own venue. So controlling venue is, is something that really is a major factor in scheduling, whether it's routing, routing other occupants, right? Some of them occupy with baseball teams, college teams. So that becomes a little bit of a challenge. So no, we're, we're not starting next season, um, you know, in the summer, um, we're, we're going to be on our, our, our standard calendar for right now. And, you know, promotion relegation. I think there's a lot that goes into that. And, and again, I think ideas are, are, are thrown out there at this point. Um, and, and I anticipate hearing a little bit more, but, um, I, 
I, I don't really know nothing, not much more than that. I think they're, they're, they're just ideas at this point and we'll see where, where that goes from there. And all I know is that, that myself and our organization continues to, to focus on what we do know and, and what, where we're at and where we're playing and when we're going to play and building a plan off of all of that. Great. Bobby, are there any plans to add a women's Phoenix Rising soccer team? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's something that that we talk about, we being myself and, and owners. Of course, we have dialogue in the front office as well. Um, and, and we're seeing things, you know, the growth, whether the USL is is introducing some new leagues or or the growth of NWSL and adding franchises. It is something that we talk a lot about. Um, and, and we've we've done the uh, not to, not to, uh, kind of pat ourselves on the back here, but we've, we've accomplished a lot in the last couple of years in our, our short time frame. you know, two facilities sure. and, and investing in that. And, you know, our youth club, we, we have a fantastic girls program. Our, our girls are, are doing really well. We just got a player called into the national team camp from our youth club. So, um, we're really excited about the leadership of our youth club. We're excited about the participation and the girls that are part of that. And that is something that that we uh, we certainly do. We have a set date or anything like that we do not. But is it something we discuss and want to have as part of our our club and our organization? Yes. So while I can't give a time frame on it, what I can tell you is it's something that has been spoken about quite frequently, um, and it's something that is important to us as an organization. Um, and, uh, and and hopefully we can get to that point sooner than later. That's great news. Supporters in social media have expressed concern that there isn't as much being done to increase public awareness as there was a few years ago. Is that the case, Bobby? Definitely not from looking at the budgets every day. Um, I, I can assure you that we're, <laughs> we're spending more money than we ever have to market and advertise. And in different forms, marketing and advertising is, is evolving. It's crazy. Um, and I guess I think I said at the season ticket member event a couple of weeks ago, this was a really um, we're still in it. We're still in a pandemic. Right. And still dealing with COVID and companies and that can come out and activate or will even allow um, their their employees to come out. Won't even send an email internally and said, hey, as part of our partnership with Phoenix Rising, we have X amount of tickets with the club. They can't send that out because they're promoting, you know, kind of gathering in masses and that's that's real issues not issues but those are real world things that we've dealt with um over the course of the season and you know it was so much transition in the this past off season right we didn't know one we were building a new facility because so we didn't really know what we had or what it was like and people still wanted to kind of see what what is this where's the location how am i going to get there um what's the layout going to be we didn't know when we were going to start um, you know, just due to COVID and when the season was going to kick off, we didn't know how many fans we were going to be able to have, what capacity restrictions. And then when we did have fans, what that would look like. So there was a lot of uncertainty and we ended up with a pretty condensed calendar um, in our world, right? So whether it was theme nights or giveaways, things of that nature, um, once we started kind of getting going and had a better idea of it, every one of our partners said, well, I, I typically do the home opener and I do a giveaway and we do a big promotion, but I don't want to do that this year because you're at 50% capacity or no capacity. Let's wait till, uh, till October. You know, I hopefully the pandemic's a little bit behind us. So um, we kind of had a pivot with a lot of different things. And, and so 
it was just on ordinary in ordinary times and in august i think we had three straight saturdays in august i don't think if you look back the last couple of years we've had three straight games in july or august you know we we historically have had one in july and one in august so we we know who we are we try to bookend our games do a little bit more in the in the front end of the season and of course the back end when the weather's a little bit better um and then sporadically have games so we also had a new partner. Uh, we moved out here, Gila River, and and you know, new food and beverage operators, new parking, and learning each other as well, and what we can and can't do. So, um, no excuses, just learnings. You know, how do we how do we improve and how do we get better? And as we started to be able to, you know, open up the facility, and as we look to spend some money, uh, you know, you look at these games, these sports books. I, the amount of money that was spent, and I think you see it now, every billboard and every television spot when you watch anything is, hey, are you going to you know, bet on this or bet on that? So it really drove the prices up. It impacted us. It certainly impacted us. So um, we've done a lot with, I mean, we still have a partnership with Arizona Sports like we always have. You know, Our games are on the app. Rick's had a weekly show on Arizona Sports. Um, they're running spots on a weekly basis, ticket giveaways. We've done um, partnerships with iHeartRadio and their stations, Odyssey and their stations. Um, we have a you know work with Arizona Central and and running a lot of ads. And we've been doing a lot of targeted approach, a lot of targeted emails, a lot of targeted text messages, um, trying to hit directly to the consumers um, because it is different, right? And you're not getting the same return when you do a billboard as you do a direct email to a Spanish media outlet in their database. So we've tri- we, we've done a lot of, of that targeted approach, a lot on um, digital advertising is where the return on the investment is far greater and and far more trackable um, on when you do that via you know digital media than when you do that on a on a billboard from a general awareness standpoint. So um, we got we got a couple of billboards out around town that we've had for a while now um, out there. Um, we're doing a lot of digital. We're doing television, not as much. You don't, I mean, television, as you know, is evolving too, right? Um, people are watching, people don't even have cable or, you know, direct TV anymore. It's, they're, they're doing subscriptions for, for different, you know, uh, channels. So we're, we're, we spend a lot of money with a third party to understand who our fans are and who our potential fans are. And um, we're going to keep trying, but I feel really confident, you know, having a proper off season, be able to theme out the nights, not to have as many games in a short amount of time frame. Um, you know, having sponsors that know what they're getting, we were still in save mode, you know, right. This whole year is credits for whether it be season ticket members from last year that didn't get as many games or sponsors that didn't get as much value. So we're preserving as, as much as we possibly can. And I think that we're going to be able to go into this, this off season. Hey, this is when the season's going to start. You know, this is when the preseason's going to start. Um, hopefully we don't have any restrictions on player interaction, right? Because we couldn't do that with, you know, uh, our COVID protocols. We're, we're hoping a proper off season after a, a long and deep run into the playoffs where there's a lot of momentum will we'll set us up for some success with a plan going forward for next year. Great. Well, thank you for a super detailed answer on that. Bobby, I really appreciate your time. I've got one more topic, and that's the league structure. So the traditional structure is that the USL had the two conferences with 18 teams in each, almost every team playing every other team in the conference twice. And then in 2020, COVID forced changes. And now in 2021, we have four divisions, two in the West, two in the East. 
So as a manager, which is more manageable from a logistical staffing budgeting situation? Is it the four divisions or two conferences? So from a, I'll start with a competition side of things. I am, I'm not a fan of playing the same team four times in one season. I think it, uh, it creates some challenges. Um, it's tough to beat any team four times one, um, much less five, like could potentially happen in the playoffs. But um, it, it just, whether it's, you get too familiar, meaning it, it, there's, there could be too much emotion and it could be impactful for referees or, you know, the players. And it just, uh, I think it's too much. So I think two is more than enough, um, but it's tough. It's tough to have a balance in a league that's growing and changing and evolving every year. And, and that's just something that we live with, right? Um, there's going to be a bit of a competitive balance and we may have had to go to Tampa across the country for a game and someone else in the West could go to a, a lesser opponent and then you try to schedule that for the next year and based on strength of schedule and it could be a little bit different so it, it's a fine balance i think it's important that we get marquee matchups you know with teams that are kind of have been performing i think it's great for the league to get a phoenix and a tampa or a san diego and a louisville um it's not always great from a competition standpoint because there, there's certainly an imbalance but we all get it we're all part of this trying to grow it um but two games is the max so uh, i anticipate that next year we'll we'll get back to a much more traditional um what we saw prior to um in prior seasons i guess um now we'll see what that looks like there may be a team or two because it creates a little bit of rivalries to to play um you know a, a few more times but i think i think two times is is where we're looking at and i think you know getting back to a traditional two conference structure is where we'll get to and then from a logistics, you talk about costs and different things. Yeah, you, you could save on that. But once you get on a flight, you're on a flight. You know, you're you're flying, whether you're flying, you know, an hour and a half or you're flying three hours, you're in the air and it's still a day operation just because of getting into the airport, getting to the facility and getting into your hotel and all that kind of stuff. So um, for us, we're, we're fine to, to, to expand the footprint a little bit more, more for in order to have a little bit more balance, I guess, in the schedule. Okay. Well, Bobby, we'll leave it at that. You're doing an incredible job building this team and we're so excited for the playoffs. So thank you for coming on the fan experience and go rising. Thank you so much for having me anytime. Hi everyone. This is Brandon Keniston, goalkeeper with Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to the fan experience. Finally today, Phoenix Rising family, let's take a look at our last game of the season, a home game on Saturday, October 30th, where we'll host Tacoma Defiance. We've played Tacoma Defiance three times this season, and we won every time. In those games, we saw three players score two goals against Tacoma, our captain Solomon Asante, Darren Maddox, and Santi Moore. It went a little something like this. Back in June, we played them here in Phoenix. The score was 3-0. Solo scored a brace. Tate Schmidt, who was just loaned to us two days prior, came on as a sub, scored, and forever earned a place in our hearts. On September 5th, we went to Tacoma. We won 3-1. Again, there were two goal scorers. Santi Moore scored one of the goals, and Darren Maddox scored a brace. This was Darren's first time on our starting 11. Both of his goals were in the first half, and for that, he earned a place in our hearts. On September 25th, we went to Tacoma again. The score that time was 2-1. Of course, we won. Our goal scorers were John Baccaro and Santi Moore. 
summarize, we played three times, won all three, we scored eight goals, they scored two. Both of their goals were scored by their top goal scorer, Sama Denner. Tacoma Defiance are Seattle Sounders' second team, and as we know, some players go back and forth between the first team, Seattle Sounders, and the second team, Tacoma Defiance. I thought it might be interesting to see if their lineups changed significantly over the three games. It was. Abdule Sissoko, Obed Vargas, and Sam Adeneran are the only three players to have started in all three games. That's interesting, but I thought it was fascinating that in those same three games, Phoenix Rising only had four players that, that were in that starting 11. Can you name them? Probably not, but if you did, you definitely deserve a medal. I'll give you a hint. Of those four players, three are in the back line. Ready? Darnell King, Joey Farrell, and James Musa. Our fourth player that played in all three games was Santi Moore. In our last two games against Tacoma Defense, they only had four players that started in both games. Their goalkeeper Herrera, Abdule Sissoko, Obed Vargas, and Sam Adeneran. We had nine players play in both games. Check it out. We had Andre Rawls, King, Schmidt, Farrell and Musa in the midfield, Lambert, Rodriguez and Quinn, and then up front, Maddox, Calistri and more. Then in the game on September 25th, there were only two changes. Flood was in for Schmidt and Solo took his spot back from Calistri. I like consistency. Going into this match, Phoenix are fighting for first place in the Western Conference. If we win, we clinch home field advantage for all matches in the Western Conference playoffs. Looking further afield to the Eastern Conference, it's not so clear cut. To claim the most points in the league, which comes with the Supporters' Shield trophy and home field advantage all the way to the US Cup Finals, then we need to win and Tampa Bay Rowdies need to lose. Tampa Bay play Las Vegas Lights in Vegas. Although it's an away game, a trip across the country for Tampa Bay Rowdies, nobody expects the Lights to win. But we're talking Vegas here, that famed city where so many fortunes were lost, where trickery and sleight of hand is king. And it's Halloween weekend, so that's gotta account for something. What I'm saying is that anything can happen, and for once, what happens that night in Vegas will certainly not stay in Vegas. Let's go Vegas, we need you to win. Let's go Phoenix Rising, our last game of the regular season. And my prediction is that the scoreline will again be in our favor 3-0. That's what my special Halloween crystal ball is telling me and if I squint my eyes, I think I can see all three goals being scored by Santi Moore. Hang on, I think it looks like it might be so... Mm, wait a minute, it, 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 maybe it could be Maddox. Let there be goals galore. Happy Halloween, everybody. Subscribe to the fan experience of Phoenix Rising FC supporters podcast. Leave us a review. Email us at thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at fanexperiencefc. And I can't wait to see you in our home stadium on Saturday, where we'll raise our voices and raise the imaginary MLS roof for our boys. Go Rising! Go Rising!